All right, and in three, two, one, got with me here, Robert Killen. Do you want to take a minute and introduce yourself, what you're doing in the Eugene area? Yeah, sure. Thank you, Tiger. I am the director of the Lane Small Business Development Center, and we've been supporting businesses since 1983. We are a team of advisors. Uh, we are a paid team of advisors, which is different than some other uh, similar organizations in the area. And I've been running the program for the last two years. I've got an extremely diverse background that we can get into. But most recently, I was with the Springfield Chamber for a number of years. Nice. Um, and I just absolutely love supporting businesses, which over the past year, year and a half, has been, has been a, a valuable value to have. Because yeah, there's I mean, been a lot COVID's of been doing really well for small businesses. It's been helping a lot. <laughs> I mean, all these different changes in regulations, so they probably just need help growing more than anything, don't they? So during COVID, the, we actually had both ends of the spectrum. We, we didn't hear from anybody in the middle. We heard from a lot of people who wanted to know how to access resources, to access the, the fed, mostly federal, but some state and local programs that were supporting businesses, because uh, it was always difficult to navigate that process. And then at the other end, we did have businesses that all of a sudden found themselves, found themselves booming yeah. and just didn't have the, the infrastructure in place to, to ca capitalize on wow. that. So we worked on both. Do you know Madison Core from Core to Core? She was I, a part of Eugene Rain, I believe. Yes. Yeah. I, I was a I was a guest speaker in the accelerator, the Eugene Rain Accelerator. Nice. Uh, a, a couple of years ago, and uh, she was in that program, yeah. so I remember her. I heard uh, yeah. that her business is doing really well because it's online based, and I mean people can't go to gyms and stuff. So of course, like businesses like that are probably like, whoa, we were not prepared for this influx of mm -hmm. of radical change from people to from traditional. Like I'm going to go to a gym to. Okay, now you need a hundred new trainers, you know, you know, in a month or something like that to hold up. But for her, she was already her business model was designed that way, and that's what she wanted to do from the from the yeah. start. And and so she must have been in a really good position when this started because she'd already figured all all of that out. the The bigger challenge was, for example, the local yoga studio lead, you know, his business who had done everything in person and now is trying to move online and trying to figure all of that out. And so. my understanding, so we spoke a couple minutes before we went on air, is that's the more the kind of business you deal with, not like the tech, the unicorns. We deal with more of like foot on the ground, people such as Jeremy Dirtball, shout out, um, <laughs> uh, who are just putting in the work every single day to kind of keep a city running. Because if you think of like, oh, a city of just tech, like you got to be able to go get food somewhere. Yeah, you know? yeah. Well, yes and. So... If you improv guy, <laughs> so if you take a look at at the different types of businesses, you can categorize them in so many different ways. And what I tend to look look at are uh, high growth or exponential growth, perhaps at one end of a spectrum, and then your you know your local family restaurant that really just wants to keep doing that. So mm -hmm. it just needs to stay steady. There's this this whole axis, and there are lots of those different different variables you can think about from high innovation to, uh, and uh, versus a tried and true traditional. business traditional business model the the world that dirt balls is in yeah. is not necessarily high innovation although i do believe there's there's high innovation in their menu they also have the potential to be extremely high growth because if they can build up their their infrastructure and that caught in, caught on globally. 
there's really very little limit to how they could grow. Shipping costs are a surprising limit. I made, I don't have any handy, but I made shirts for a while and I realized, okay, I could make the shirt for about $2.50, but to ship one shirt was like $8. And I'm like, oh, well, there goes all my hopes of, so I'm like, to some extent, like the, the change between being a local business and being like a interplanetary business, um, <laughs> but you know, like all around the globe is such a radical shift when you start realizing, oh, you need the logistics of shipping yeah. and, and you actually need to buy the boxes, the tape, have someone pack them all, bring them, like, holy cow, that's a massive shift for a company. It is, and and in your example, shipping one shirt is never, never an issue, but if you were to ship a a container load of this liquid death mountain water from the liquid out or from the alps to the to say china mm -hmm. the cost would be about a penny a penny a can really so the shipping costs are it it depends on volume yeah. you just have to set yourself up you have to you have to model it out and set yourself up with with the model that works mm -hmm. so so to get back to it dirt balls has the potential to be a traded sector business shipped all over the world. You said traded right. sector earlier, maybe mm -hmm. before air. What does traded sector mean? Like, So traded sector, great, great question. Traded sector means that we are creating something here where we, and we have jobs that we are paying here in our community, but the product that we're making is being sold outside of the area. Mm. And because of that, the dollars that are being paid for that product are being imported into our community. Nice. So if we create something here that people outside of our community purchase, we're essentially an influx of dollars. Yeah. And the more we can do that, the more dollars we have recirculating in our community. It makes makes it work better for everybody. So I just need to fill, uh, figure out a way to fill a whole container ship with my shirts and then get better shipping prices. <laughs> there right? you go. Bring in some <laughs> money from, from China or some other place in the world. Yeah. It's interesting. I never thought about that because you always like look at, okay, owning a small business and um, like some money gets taken out of the circulation of a small town through the government by you getting the money and then paying your employees and then them going and spending it. It's like, wow, there's a constant outflux, I don't know if that's yeah. quite a word, of money from an ecosystem. But it's like, you never really think about like, how does more money get added into it, you know? And that's how. And Traded you know, economy. Traded sector. Traded sector. Traded sector. Uh, it's a very, it's a buzzword for the economic development world because you're constantly trying to build that up. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons that our work at the SBDC and all of our partners, SCORE and RAIN and, and Onward Eugene, all of these organizations, the, the great value in that is that we're helping small locally owned businesses gain strength, yeah. gain in their ability. Uh, and by doing that, they have the ability to displace say chain stores mm -hmm. and and if you've got a, a really get great product that somebody buys from you here locally as opposed to ordering on, a, on Amazon mm -hmm. imagining imagine you've got an Amazon purchase for a thousand dollars how much of that money goes back into you goes back into the, the community none yeah. zero the only thing is a tiny amount for the person who brought it to your door mm -hmm. that's it everything else goes outside of the community I mean, it, even the person who brought it to your door. I mean, I guess it's his pay, but I was going to say FedEx and UPS, mm -hmm. they're, they're probably not really Eugene companies. True. Wow. True. As opposed to that $1,000 spent on a local, locally mm -hmm. created product, imagine 15% of the cost is actually materials that were purchased outside of the area. But you could still expect to see 60 to 80% of those that $1,000 so staying in the community and then used to recirculate. Taking that into account as like a guiding like goal for like a good direction for a city to head in, but understanding that the trends 
overwhelmingly in the opposite direction. Do you see like any foreseeable ways to kind of counteract that or deal with it or like, well, what do you do when it's like everyone's going one direction? You can play the game and be an be an Amazon vendor, right? You can you can put your product on Amazon so that people are at least sending you. You get the profits at Mm -hmm. least. but so that that's what it is. It's it's a function of of figuring out a way to create value that people want from somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And there's also value in just creating a local business that uh, local artistic businesses build culture that that cause pe- more people to want to come here. I mean, there's a lot of reasons to build local businesses. There are very few reasons to import like chain stores and yeah. large large companies that are that are really even if they are providing uh, wages if they're if they're providing good wages good on them companies like like Wayfair here they've come in and they've done a pretty darn good job we're we're thankful that they're here um but then that darn Taco Bell with that delicious Crunchwrap <laughs> Supreme undercutting <laughs> all the local businesses and stuff like that it it's such an interesting place because I'm like to some extent could you legislate around that? Like Vermont doesn't have billboards or something, or maybe the billboards have to be a certain level low. Could Eugene just get together and be like, no more chains? Or like, can you, I mean, cause that, imagine the amount of innovation that would occur in terms of local businesses that would flourish rather than all the money being sucked into the, the chain. So you, you would think that that would work and, and you could probably make some adjustments like that. But if you try and make whole scale whole scale changes you end up disrupting like the um, the employment mm. landscape I mean, people have to have a place to work ultimately everybody needs an opportunity to 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 trade their time and energy and skills for dollars and those chains and you know those larger companies they do serve to keep people employed so we've got to at least give them give them that but th- there it will always be a battle there will always be a there will always be somebody out there fighting to improve, increase the number of small locally owned businesses because awesome. it's just better for the community. So is it mostly government fu- or like a local government funded, like state city funded programs that help create more local businesses? Or like, what do you mean there's any of these fighting for that? Or like, are you saying BC people who are like, I'm not hunting for a unicorn mm-hmm. like the next Google. I want to help mom and pop shops around town. It seems like a big like ask for people to be like, I know that's like, as you said, venture capital is sexy. It's like, no, don't do that. Help out the community. Because think about like the bigger in terms of uh, almost like universal gain you get for that kind of work. That is a, that is a, people. That is a million dollar question right now because in venture capital only works because of the potential growth, you know, the potential outcome of, of that investment, you know, yeah. a 10, 20x investment. I mean, people say about angel funds, if you take out the, the number one best returning, it's almost every single one's negative. Yeah. So yeah. Like so, so that how do you get equity investment in, say, a, a rural town in Oregon? How do you, how do you make that happen? And there are and you some. You know, there's never going to be an exit. No. Any of this. No. All the metrics that would get people to typically invest are out the door. Yeah. So the only way that works is when you have when you have local local people in your community who've made it good and want to invest. And that's how they want to do it. They want to do it by supporting local business owners. And we've seen examples of that. The, the Cottage Grove Chamber and Cottage Grove Community sponsored a, a business challenge for a couple of years that was funded by a local business owner who'd made good and brought a check to the chamber and said, hey, I want to support small business. That's so awesome. 
But but can you replicate that everywhere? It, it's it's not a model that's replicatable unless you just happen to have someone of of like mind. So would you say this is the benefit of governmental intervention in like capitalism per se or free market is kind of allowing the cogs to still work without just being like everyone's like oh, I'm just looking for a hundred x or I'm trying to create these like Ethereum racing horses or whatever people yeah. are doing. It's like some level of like the world that we're currently living. Some level of governmental interactions needed or interventions needed to keep the wheels turning or like, I mean, could they all be so, pr I mean, that is really like a wonderful world where it's like, yeah, every business that succeeds pays it for. It's like, man, wouldn't that be wouldn't gorgeous? Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah. Until we've got that figured out, we have, we've got to have resources for the 98%, 99% of businesses that are not in that VC, VC target world. You threw out the numbers before we went on air. You should say, because yeah. those blew okay. my, me away. I was like, I thought of 20, 80. Yeah. So, so de depending on who you listen to, um, I found I found two reports that that describe the investment, the number of businesses that have received VC investment that are that are alive right now. Mm -hmm. Kauffman Foundation and a report by them said one half of one percent. And another report, I can't remember the source right now, but another report that I've got stored on my computer said 0.004%. It's on a slide deck somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> sure. but, but I've heard, and I've heard numbers as large as 2%. Mm -hmm. But even if it's that, yeah. we have to recognize that 95 to 100%, 95 to 98% of businesses are... Um, Restaurants, mechanics, everything that allows you to actually live your day-to-day -day life. Yeah, they're just the functioning businesses in a community that keep a community going. Yeah. And, and, and the equity funding world is just, it's never going to fit there. So that is where, that is where I believe, and I'm funded for this, I'm funded because of this, but I believe that there is a need for public dollars to be supporting those business owners because the reason organizations like ours exist is because they've done studies and they've found that business owners don't know what they don't know until they need to know it, mm -hmm. and then it's too late. So Typical of all humans in life, absolutely. every aspect of it, you know? Absolutely. And and to have a mentor, to have somebody you can go to when you're look, staring down the face of a, of a obstacle you just don't understand, mm -hmm. to be able to go to your local SBDC and say, hey, I'm having I'm looking at this problem. Can you help me uh, go to your local score organization, which also provides free and confidential advising? Um, go to Rain. Go to those organizations that are funded to support businesses yeah. and get like that support. It seems like an easy pitch to, to, like, everyone, even, like, small government people would be like, oh, my tax dollars are being used for that. Who would ever, like, so is there any trouble funding this at all? It seems like this would be the most, the, the easiest thing in the world to get going. The SBDCs were, were started in 1980, and there have been very few times in the history of, of funding. It's, they're funded and organized by the SBA, the Small Business Administration out of DC. So it, it, it is a federal program. Interesting. Um, and there have been very few times when, the, when it has been under serious attack. You yeah. know, given all of the changes, you know, the back and forth of politics, the SBDCs are, are pretty well loved across, uh, across the aisle. Do you know, and maybe it's a, not even a real thing, but there's like dollar amounts put into some things where it's like for every $1 invested in creating a public park, something like $2.50 comes back to that city by tourism or by people like, I don't know, being happier maybe, but mm -hmm. for whatever reason, it seems like every dollar that goes into allowing um, just a small business owner to actually get their footing because 
it is daunting. I mean, even I'm literally running a show, which is one of the easiest, cheapest things in the world to do. But I'm like, it's a big task if I'm, you know, literally working 10 hour days just to pay rent in a place that's increasing all the time. And you're just like, you, no one has the energy or the time to kind of get going and then yeah. much less raise capital and then what your friends and family. So it's like this big wheel where it's like you almost need something to grab onto. I think the only thing like and it, it wouldn't even be worthwhile pushback it's like it tends to when places get too much funding they almost blow up in an administrative way like i'm specifically talking about hospitals and some things where it's like you start seeing it's like more money that goes into it it creates more bureaucracy just to keep jobs around it's like hey we're going to hire a department to finish a task and the task never ends so that nobody ever gets fired and it's like that's like the people's biggest pushback against um, any sort of funds in the yep. government but that doesn't seem real in in a place that's like you don't create laws for local businesses, do you? Or like, like how did, yeah, so. Yeah, in our case, there are there is a figure out there. Um, I shouldn't even mention it because I don't know if my memory is correct. Cut two years ago, pre-COVID, I could have told you this number, uh, but I- Crazy, we're starting to say two years ago, pre-COVID. Pre-COVID, yeah. Not a year ago, uh, what's going on here? <laughs> and so two years ago, I'm like, oh, it is almost two oh, years ago. Yeah, that's what yeah. it feels like. That's brutal. But. But the numbers, the SBA, they list the numbers, and I, I should look them up, but it's something like a, a five to one or seven to one investment. So there's, there are dollars invested in the SBDC system across the country, and they, they consider the return on that in economic development um, associated with the business we have helped keep alive and grow to be a five to seven, seven to one um, return. So it's, it's, sounds a, like it's two pretty easy. It, it sounds like everything that you're saying sounds like one of those too good to be real kind of things where it's like, I mean, I assume every city has one and, but why aren't they just bigger already? It's like, I know a fair amount of small businesses in the area and a lot of like the owners of them haven't taken a week, a weekend off in a mm-hmm. couple of years or stuff like that, where I'm like, why is this becoming even increasingly more difficult to start up a business? It's like, it, we really are, like the trajectory is no small businesses in 100 years. Yeah, and that, that, that frightens me. Uh, I, I tend to discount, I, dis, I tend to discount the end game there because I, I, there are just too many people who don't fit the traditional employment model. There are just too many people who need to have their own way, their, yeah. to, to chart their own path. So I think there will always be a, a need and a place for, for entrepreneurs to, to get off the ground and, and um, provide value. Uh, but why aren't we better? There are a couple of reasons that I can point to that we are not better known. Um, one, SBDC sounds like a government entity and it people does. just, it just I just does. hate it already. Yeah, right. <laughs> you explain it for five minutes. So I'm like, oh yeah, I'm on board with that. Yeah. But initially, wait, federal? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Interfering just, with local business? Hold the phone. <laughs> yeah. It, it just, it, it is a very well-known brand like the SBA, but it seems like a government entity. And so there's a, there's a, a just, I don't want to call it a distrust, but just um, a shying away uh, for that reason. In addition for whatever reason, because they're federal funds and everybody's very concerned that it, they're being used appropriately, we're extraordinarily limited in our marketing cap- capability. Mm. They don't let us use our funds to market to the give programs. To funds, yeah, because so, I mean marketing, you know. Yeah, uh, and, and even though, so that is the case, even though we receive more fun- funds here in Oregon, we receive more funds from Business Oregon 
and more funds from our host institutions. And we're all attached. The SBDC centers like mine around the state are attached to all the community colleges. Um, and we, so we receive more funds from those entities than we do from the SBA, but we are chartered by an SBA subcontract. So the SBA really runs how we can do things. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, even though it's not even their funds, they get to dictate the bureaucracy and the steps that you have to go. I mean, a little bit. Kenzie and I were on a nonprofit yeah. for a while. And even that, a nonprofit has so many rules and layers behind yeah. how you're appropriating funds. And it's just, it's a headache in and of itself that makes it to the point where it's like, who would want to take on that task? But you did. Did you initially have a small business and kind of leapt to this? Or did you just say from the start, I don't have a small business, but you know who I want to help in this world? <laughs> Small business. That's a really good question. So I have had, um, I was a professional artist for a few years running my own business as an artist. What I've had some art? side gigs. I'm uh, so curious. What? Uh, I, was a, I was a watercolorist early on in my life. Very and, cool. Was, and did that for several years until got married and realized that it probably wasn't going to serve me long term. Mm -hmm. So I uh, became a designer um, and did design work and branding for about a decade. And then finance and then I'd done a lot of different things. So you, you did cool. finance for a while. Yeah, so I was a banker. Like a portfolio of stocks per se. No, no, not that. And it's finance. not all Amazon. <laughs> it's no. Like you and your free no. time, I'm playing both sides, so I always come out on top. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, that, that's the way it works. No, I, uh, I was a banker. I was a commercial lender and branch manager for a couple different banks um, for a uh, better part of a decade. And then in the downturn uh, in 2009, I left. It just um, kind of showed its ugly side, mm -hmm. was no longer interested. And then, but prior uh, to 2009, you want a home loan? Here you oh go. No, you you were was, the. It was it was ugly. I actually, I it was it was uh, even for me as a banker, I actually um, purchased a home during that time when I was a banker, and the lender who was a guy that I had been referring people to because mm -hmm. we had a hard time getting it done internally at the bank at that point, um, this, this he he wouldn't sell me. A 30-year fixed mortgage. Interesting. He didn't even he didn't even have that product. He only had uh, he only had short-term arms variable <laughs> variable rate mortgages. Yeah. So I had to go somewhere else. But he was the guy I'd been sending everybody to. Ooh, it was wow. really it was really scary. Perspective. Yeah. yeah. Hold up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Spend three years sending people to him, ooh. and then you go to him. Well, that was a big mistake. <laughs> but but my I discovered my my oversized empathy for small business owners. Uh, when I was a banker, I had, um, and I had to think about where it came from and realize that when I was a kid, my, my stepdad, who was my dad from the age of four, he had his own business before he and my mom got married and he had that business for 15 to 20 years. And then in the mid seventies, he ran into a problem where his, some of his biggest his biggest clients weren't paying timely and he was running out of money, running out of cash. Pretty typical problem, especially at the start of a downturn. And um, he didn't know what to do. Uh, eventually somebody said, well, you should find some investors to tide you over. So he did that. He went out and got some investors who sold 30% of his company, sold a portion of his company. And a year later, I was, the family was down in Sacramento waiting in the car while he was in this meeting with the investors to figure out how he was going to get out of his company wow. because they had made life so miserable for him uh, he just couldn't handle it anymore and and when i reflected on my 
my empathy for the small business owners, it went back to that moment sitting in the sitting in the car waiting for my dad to come out of that that building. I realized that I in in my role now, I want to be that person who can give a business owner the advice that can get them through yeah. you know, the, the advice that uh, that will allow them to survive and um, which can be SP a lot more valuable than than actually just getting investor money but it seems so appealing oh I get money mm -hmm. that I pay back later compared to bootstrap and figure it out and there's a ton of resources but it yeah. just seems so out of reach even though it's like online all the time like the level of steps to like get into college or all these different like avenues in life and I'm sure like I just haven't started a small business so I can't relate to that exactly but I can imagine it's just so daunting between all the forms you sign out and then they take three weeks to get back to you and it's just like holy cow you know so. well the 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 processes to just get a business started yes they they can be daunting but the real the real trick is again getting back to this concept the business owners nobody starts a business because they know and love employment employment law yeah and nobody nobody does nobody they nobody know knows it. what marketing actually means mm -hmm. right they get into business because they love to do a thing yeah. they love to help people in a certain way they've got a skill that they want to be able to exercise and get paid for whatever it is that's why people start a business but the the machine a business is a, a is a cash machine right it it is fueled by cash and hopefully if it's all working correctly it is actually generating more cash than it takes to run it Alchemy. right that, <laughs> that's what a, that's what a, that's what a business is yeah. um, and when you think about it that way you think about it as a collection of systems there's your marketing your sales your your um, you know vendor relationships receiving inventory manufacturing these are all discrete components that work together to accomplish something every business has its workflow it has its blueprint and if you think about it in those terms almost every business owner knows knows nothing except one part of one of those components yeah. and everything else is something they either have to pick up as they're going along it's not what they wanted it takes no. them away from what they wanted yeah. and why they started in the first place yeah so the more help that they can get from an organization like ours uh, the the less they have to 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 put out fires you mm -hmm. know business owners are constantly saying I can't I can't create the systems to keep fires from starting because I'm spending all of my time just putting out the fires yeah I mean, and it's just it, it might be a little bigger than a small business but next door Arkimoto like I just heard that they're like yeah well we're just about to get um, legalized in Hawaii and I'm like, what? And they're like, yeah, every single state has to go through a legalization process for a company to like. And I'm like, I get it. You need like, people to be safe and all these different things. But I'm like, wow, that's a massive hurdle from shifting to like two green and electric vehicles or whatever shift people are making, like introducing a new thing yeah. Yeah. is like, it's oh, massive. you have to go through legislation and every state in the U.S. that you want to like be a part of. And I'm like, what is going on with this, you know? Seems like, I mean, I can't imagine how bureaucratic the world's gonna be in 100 years or 50 yeah. years if we make it that far. Well, it'll be interesting to see because I'm, I'm actually seeing a shift, I'm actually seeing a shift um, away from bureaucra that mm. bureaucratic nightmare nice. because of the ease, uh, uh, specifically of international sales. 
You know, it is, if you want to build a business and create relationships and sell internationally on your own, that's really complicated. Yeah. But you don't have to do that. Who do you, you can, know who to call? You can go to, you, can go <laughs> to, you really know, though. if you sell through one of these big, big marketplaces like Amazon, mm-hmm. right? Amazon oh, will handle everything. Yeah. You know, and, and, and yes, they take a cut, but all of a sudden you they have cut, access like to the- 30% or something? Kind of yeah, yeah, it depends. Yeah, it, it can be large. It depends on your on your product mix, but it's um, but to have access to the whole world, you know, yeah. it's we're seeing more of that, and that's going that might actually make it easier to sell, say, to Europe mm-hmm. or to Asia than to Hawaii Set up your own or Idaho. Lines. Yeah, you know, it might actually get to a point where it's easier wow. to sell internationally than it is to sell domestically. That's we don't absurd. know that, but, yeah, but, but directions and trends. Yeah, um, I got to go back. Call back to a couple minutes ago. You said yeah. you used to be a banker. Did you see that movie Yes Man when it came out with Jim Carrey in it mm-hmm. about the banker? <laughs> Did you like that movie? That's yeah. like one of my favorite movies of all time. Like seriously, that was such a joy of a movie to watch. Yeah. Did you watch it? Like, because whenever you see movies, like if you're a musician, you see like the musicians playing. Like, duh, duh, you know, that's not accurate. He's not playing. <laughs> that guitar right there did you as a banker watch that movie you're like that's wrong that's inaccurate Uh, almost every so they're great thing banks do really good things and almost every movie that has that has positioned a banker as um well, actually, you see both sides in banks. So one of my favorite movies is It's a Wonderful Life, right? So mm-hmm. you have two banks. You know, you've got Mr. Potter over here who's the big commercial bank. And, yeah. then, and then you've got George Bailey, who's, you know, the nice, friendly bank who's trying to help the community. Everyone in town. Those all exist. Nice. Those all exist. Interesting. I recently switched from Chase to Oregon Community Credit Union for that exact reason. That movie was the shit. I'm kidding. That movie was the shit. <laughs> but something along those lines of, like, why am I allowing a big multinational, like, a massive corporation that you realize how much money they make in overdraft fees each year and i'm like mm-hmm. yeah that's suspicious you know yeah yeah and yeah, that's a that's a great example of a shift uh of a shift to buying local yeah. you know go you, setting up your banking account in a local or you know smaller regional bank mm-hmm. it supports the region that you're in so in a way is someone who like sells stuff on amazon you're supporting amazon but they sell their traded sector in terms of they export goods and bring in money to the community well yeah would that be a positive thing then even that, though you're like using even the- if, even though you're using amazon yes it would if if you are being successful on amazon let's again you know think of dirt balls mm-hmm. so imagine they create a production facility and they hire you know seven or eight or ten people to to make those i think in he large has that scale going right now okay. maybe not that not, not okay. large enough to serve the world but yeah. he has a production facility that he doesn't have to make them anymore okay so perfect so moving on up. he's he's employing he's employing people mm-hmm. um and by selling on Amazon, he keeps, he's, he, not only is he bringing profits in, but yeah. he's also bringing, uh, bringing wages to all of those employees. And, and so their family gets, mm-hmm. gets their portion of the cash. Yeah. And any, any local suppliers that they're using, I don't, know, I don't know where his supplies come from, but any local suppliers are getting their portion. Awesome. So What do you think yeah. of the digital nomad movement? Have you heard much about that? Describe it for me. It's so people find really high paying jobs and they move to lower cost mm. oh, yeah. places. Yeah. So a job that was posted here, but it's technically you can like, you don't have to live here or go to meetings here. Then they just move to, you know, Burma or like anywhere that's really inexpensive. Then in many ways, that's probably drawing money. away. It's uh, more than anything, just talking to you. I've ne- it's never been put in perspective of the flow of money to and away totally. from a community. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, now I'm going to start seeing every dollar I spend in this way. I'm like, is this going <laughs> into Eugene or is this going yeah. out of Eugene? 
It's yeah. fascinating to start thinking about that. Yeah, it, it is. And once you start down that road, it gets it gets easier to pay a little bit more for something local. Like I live in Coburg and and we don't have a grocery, but we've got Dairy Mart, right? And and Dairy Mart has well, fantastic milk. It's Lockmead milk. It's actually there it's the same company. So Lockmead and Dairy Mart are the same company. Nice. I can smell the cows in the summer yeah. where that milk is coming from. <laughs> nice. And um and I will pay a dollar or more a gallon for that milk because it that money is staying right here. Mm-hmm. If I pick it up at Costco, then you know the that milk only a tiny portion of that little investment in milk that I'm making is staying local. So yeah. Um, it makes it easier to start to start making those investments, and you think about your you begin to think about your purchases as an investment in community nice. more than just the purchase of the thing that I need. I like that, and especially well, yeah. if you own a small business, you see it coming back to you because then more people in the area have more money. Yep, tricky Whoa. stuff. Yep. Whoa, it's almost like a, it's almost like a circle the way it should run. Yeah, I, it, it's just, I mean, so you've, as a banker and then all these different things, what, you made a shift from watercolor to thinking about money your whole life. Mm-hmm. I mean, was that pretty much, do you have kids? I do. So it's probably right when you got married and started having kids, you should probably like looked at the, the art life kind of fading away and looking <laughs> to the, the banker and, and small business life kind of coming toward you. Do you like this shift or do you wish like at the, after, will your next shift be back to art or do you think mm-hmm. this will kind of carry on? That's a really good question. I actually made the shift. It was very intentional. Uh, I was, it would have been 1999, a couple of years, uh, excuse me, a couple months before uh, my first son was born and I came home from working and I was in design. I worked at, at the time for a screen print, large screen print embroidery promotional products company doing brand work. Nice. And um, I enjoyed the work, but I came home, pulled into the driveway and my wife had gotten home before me. She was in the kitchen. I could see her through the window. And she was a teacher. And I realized that that day, she had positively impacted the lives of 135 kids. Yeah. And she did that every day. And I spent my day unsuccessfully trying to get a picture printed on a, t- a T-shirt. <sighs> and that... that um, I had a crisis of purpose yeah. in that moment. And you I, how old at that time? When you had your, hmm? when you had your big crisis of, of purpose, how old were you? Uh, how old was I? I would have been, um, can't do the math, uh, 36, 37. So classic midlife crisis. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I guess it would have been a 34th. A little earlier. Yeah, but yes. But yes. Um, and I went in and we began a conversation that eventually led to me moving into banking. And the reason I chose banking is I wanted to be in a place where I at least felt or believed that I could have a, a greater impact on my community than I was in the artistic fields. Do you think you had a bigger impact as a banker or as a small business director? Oh, now this is the mo- this is the greatest this is the greatest impact that I've been nice. having. Yeah, that's got to be yeah. feel really good. At, like just a nice to be like, oh, I'm literally helping. Yeah, the boot on the ground people around when, me. When I found my way to the chamber, uh, Springfield Chamber, uh, I started on their board and then and then on staff for about five years total. I expected that I would retire with chambers because they have a similar a similar value proposition. They exist to help small businesses grow. Yeah. That's what chambers right do. Right when I talked with Brittany Quick Warner and mm-hmm. I told her kind of like what I'm doing, and she was like immediately like awesome. Just like in terms of like as the show grows, small business people come on and they reach a new audience without paying money for marketing. Yeah. So it's like she was like awesome. 
So no, yeah. I, I really didn't know what the chamber did until I actually started speaking with some people there. I'm like, oh, they're the good guys. Yeah, you know. Yeah, chambers definitely are, and chambers t have very different shapes. Uh, smaller chambers tend to focus on one or two things. Larger have shorter chambers. Shorter reverb. Yeah. <laughs> I'm bigger chambers, bigger very chamber. echoey. I, I get it, I get it. Uh, yeah, so a small chamber on the coast might do primarily visitor, you know, visitor center work and then some networking. A chamber like Eugene and Springfield, they have, they have you know, government issue committees and economic development committees. You know, they, they do a lot of, of different, different things, but all of it was to support businesses. When I got the when the email came across my desk about this position, mm -hmm. um, I didn't I didn't know whether I could I, yeah. um, because you know my college background was in music actually it was oh, in, yeah, yeah yeah nice. it was music composition and that doesn't directly <laughs> flow into director of the SPDC. I was kinesiology now I'm making a show <laughs> <laughs> exactly so. Uh, uh, but I, I, you know, I applied because I couldn't not apply. It was just so perfect. Because I, uh, one of the reasons that I won't necessarily, I'll probably always do art in some fashion, but I wouldn't go back to it professionally because what I've discovered is that the greatest art that I have to give is, is uh, presentation and training and education. So, so speaking, connecting with yeah, people, and you know, I guess in, in yeah, that's yeah. a massive. It, but people don't think of that. So we just had someone. He was a OSU professor. Came drove down yesterday and talked about um, just like children developing with sports and recess and how important they all are. And I'm like, I would be a big proponent of switching a kid like all the time. He's like, well, he wouldn't develop mastery of like one skill. He'd be like all off on these different things. I'm like, competence. competence. But I'd be like, I would really impress upon my, my child the importance of understanding speaking and mm -hmm. connecting with people as a skill that you can master no matter what skill you're actually doing at the time. Yeah. Because it's just so umbrella for every aspect of your life. So much of our life's interpersonal. I'm like, you know, you're selling yourself to, to other people. You're connecting. You're understanding how you can help and not help each other. And it's like nobody ever teaches that. It's no so one even puts that in kids' minds that so that's a skill. I, I couldn't agree more. I spent uh, I was in a three-year high school but my three years all three years sophomore junior senior year I took a full year of what was called forensics which was speech and debate Wow! and and I find it criminal that speaking public speaking mm -hmm. and learning to craft an argument you know the cogent argument that makes sense mm -hmm. and to communicate that is not uh, it's just not standard fare in in public education because um, and I did lots of things. And Criminal, I you hear that? <laughs> I had, <laughs> well, it, it, it just it just is. You know, you we send people out into the world without the ability to communicate what they're feeling. Mm -hmm. You know, much less you know speak professionally. They can't even communicate with other people what they're speaking because they're too shy. They're just not not confident of their ability to put two words together that makes sense and uh, i just i feel like it it should be fixed yeah. and and um yeah i actually thought i pr i left high school presuming that everybody would understand how valuable this is and it would become more and more common only to then 
get at a point where my kids are entering, entering into high school and realizing that the speech clubs have all disappeared. Yeah. You know, there's hardly any of them around anymore. No, it's going the it's, opposite direction, if stunned. anything. I mean, so do your kids use TikTok? We, Kenzie and I use it. On my, my official job, actually, at Arkimoto is making TikToks. That's yet funny. I see if I had a kid, I'd be like, this is poison. This is my cure, <laughs> but this is your poison. Because there's so much just like... Uh, I'm almost starting to look at it like same with Reddit, like when you're scrolling and you see like all these really quick things, it kind of like turns your brain to mush a little bit in the aspect of you don't have any like deep knowledge in one thing. You learn all this like, oh, that's a cool trick. Oh, that's a cool life hack. Oh, that's a cool way of doing yeah. this thing. And then you don't really remember any of it. Even like the minute that you close it, you're like, it's like waking up from a dream. You're like, oh, it was so cool if I could just remember what it was. <laughs> and then you describe it to people like Kenzie or I watch a funny TikTok and we'll describe it to the other person. Never lands. So it's not even yeah. like you're learning funny jokes or anecdotes. It's like. There's a lot of like junk food media that more Mental than ever, like I would say, <laughs> even though it's tastier and more like comforting, which is, I mean, that's what junk, than Facebook, like everyone used to get on Facebook for being junk food for people's brains. And I'm like, oh, Facebook is good compared to like what's currently going on in the, yeah. the kind of sphere of, of media. Well, I can't disagree. I've got my boys, I'm fortunate. Uh, I've got one, my oldest is, is, he just doesn't pay attention to that stuff. He's he's in his own head. He's a he's a scientist. He's nice. he's, he's his own Sweet. thing. <laughs> and my my youngest, you know, he is he's on, but that he is um, very artistic and kind of you know um, walks his own path. Uh, my middle son is probably the most social, probably the most active, and I'm you know I feel really good. He's now a, he'll be a sophomore in college, and I feel really good about his. Um, just his social acumen, and um, he 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 sees what he understands when something is 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 positive or yeah. affirming or not. It's I, so interesting really to start reading social situations and yeah. then understanding like, oh, it doesn't always relate to me. Yeah. Um, being so, so, I've been starting to give this book away. Have you ever read Ogmandino or the Greatest Salesman in the World? Yes, Richard? absolutely. That's so okay. You're like the second or third person who's ever recognized. I've given away 65 copies. I'm trying to hit 100 by the end of the year because you start reading it every day, and it's been like very beneficial. And like the chapter I'm currently on is today I'll master my emotions. Like pretty much like someone who I think their phrase. So I'm on day two of this chapter. So like last chapter I read for 30 days. Um, the person who won't buy gold chariots for a penny today will sell his house for a tree tomorrow. And like in many ways, our mood reflects what we'll buy so much to the extent that <laughs> yesterday I came across like Kanye putting on a new album. It's like a four stem player. And I was like, oh, I'll buy that. Um, but then like other times I'll be like $3 for this little thing. And I'm like, wow, <laughs> mood dictates what we buy and how yeah. we interact with people to an extent that you got to lend that. Uh, understanding to others when you're interacting with them and it's like not a positive environment it's like that could just be them today their partner could have left or their whatever happened and yep. we always just like no I'm going to take my knowledge of the situation and now I don't like this person or now I do and it's like it really kind of puts things in perspective understanding that other people have their own lives give people as much grace as they need you know? yeah yeah we we could stand to we could stand to give people and ourselves Greater grace. Yeah. Um, we and that's one of the. It doesn't sound like a, a business, a you know, a point of business education. But one of the one of the points that I start with, especially when I'm talking with brand new business owners, uh, people who are just getting started, is is to not beat themselves up for the things that they don't know because nobody expects them to know it. Um, you know, only people who have have gotten an MBA and you know, they've gone mm -hmm. through college, they've gotten their MBA. Uh, They're the should, real useless ones. Well, I was going to say, that, you know, they they should expect to at least know the basics. But sometimes that's a handicap because life doesn't roll out in the way that it's 
that it's described in the textbooks. It mm -hmm. just doesn't happen that way. And yeah. so it's very often that that even a even a an academically educated business person uh, struggles with the real world. I think it was um, Steve Blank. What a good last name. Yeah. Everyone Steve thinks like you don't remember his last name. <laughs> You're leaving it blank <laughs> yeah, for now. <laughs> so Steve Blank was actually one of the fathers of the accelerator movement. So, oh, cool. you know, he, he's a big name in, in the lean startup world. Um, but I think he was the one who said uh, no business plan survives first contact with a client. Right. So mm -hmm. no matter no matter how great a plan you put together, as soon as you open the door, as mm -hmm. soon as that first person walks in, things are off the rails. Yeah. Our motor has that with doors. They don't have doors on their vehicles. And <laughs> almost every time. Well, when's there going to be doors, though? And now they do have doors. But it's funny to kind of think. So uh, keeping perspective and not naming these two books, Greatest Salesman in the World and Zero to One, what's a small business book that you think is like better and more like helps people be equipped more than like getting an MBA or like mm. all these more useless things. Are you, are you a proponent of zero to one? Uh, I'm not, I don't know zero to one. Uh, it was like a Peter Thiel's book. It was like, Oh a, yeah. Yeah. It was like okay. massive in the startup yeah. community, but okay. it, it almost promoted the opposite. It's like go for a monopoly monopoly. Yeah. Go, you know, it was like the exact opposite of much of what you do. So I'm like, maybe you don't like that book. Maybe leave that one off the table. Yeah. So for me, the books that I recommend, um, so the books that I recommend are less about business and more about, about learning how to think. Oh, don't drop power to work. Don't be one of those people. No, <laughs> no it can be a uh, philosophical book. Now I'm really curious. Well, so, um, uh, for Where Pete's the sidewalk sake. ends? No, no, no. <laughs> Not that direction um, either. Uh, so. Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Cool. Okay, so that's a, that is a fantastic, fantastic, it's from the 90s. Um, and it is, it is maybe the best book on just understanding what um, human, just fundamental, what, what creates fundamental human success. Nice. You know, things like start with the end in mind. Uh, first, seek to understand, then to be understood. You know, things nice. like that. There, yeah. It's just, it's a beautiful book. In terms of business, specifically business. That's good enough. I'm happy with oh, that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, are you okay getting like minorly political just because it's very recent kind of hot on my mind an event that occurred? Okay. Um, uh, local business had to deal with um, putting a uh, COVID vaccine mandate to their company. And I thought it's because like they were just really just caught up in the news and they're like, oh, I just want to make sure the community isn't getting hurt. But then I overheard them explaining it to the employees because they had like everyone who was unvaccinated talk to the the person and he was like i'm concerned that you're all going to get sick and go out at one time and i'm going to lose production and but if he didn't or if he did mandate it immediately maybe they'd all quit or lose them all so it's like there's so many catch 22s and in the current world are you seeing more small businesses like mandate things or like do you have any suggestions for like small businesses mm -hmm. facing something like that so yeah that's a really hard thing to talk on uh, to speak on i I have to, I have my own personal opinions, mm -hmm. but in my role as a supporter of small business, I have to back up and, and acknowledge that a business is the creation, it is the child of its owner, its founder. And, and they have the right within what is regulated, they have the right to, to mandate or not 
whatever they whatever they choose. Yeah. And I have to respect that. My job is not to is not to to judge or tell more them to, others. More those so than judging. Like, would you have advice for someone in the catch twenty two position like that? Where it's, oh. you're darned if you do, darned if you don't, kind of thing. Like that's the first time I've ever seen like a glimpse into what it's like to run a, yeah. a company with many employees and have to make decisions that then affect tons of people and their family and the community in a large way and being like no matter what decision you make i mean do any yeah. of these philosophical philosophy books help with really hard decisions because that was i wasn't yeah, even my decision good... to make and i was like that's one of the harder decisions aside from like who you're with in life where you live and what you do like the three big decisions yeah like that's a day-to-day -day decision that i've never faced and i've never like whoa i know so if i were asked asked how how would i approach that if i were in their position now, i'm a huge fan of organizational storytelling if if I had to make a decision like that, I would craft a story if one was not available to me. I would craft a story. This is the future that I want to see mm -hmm. in the time that we're in this in this thing that we're experiencing now. I would like to like us to be able to get through this time, you know, healthy and safe if that was the decision that I had made. Um, and these are the reasons. So I would tell the story of families, you know, families kept safe if that was the decision that I, that I was making. Um, if, on the other hand, I did not want to mandate, <clears throat> then um, I would craft a different story uh, that reflects my values. And I would share, that, share the story mm -hmm. of, of that living out, sort of a, what I call a successive vision story. So you look into the future and you say, this is the future that I am, that I am envisioning based on the decisions and work we're doing now. I like now. that, probably a really good way of relating to people. Yeah. I've never thought of like a company kind of storytelling to relate to employees in that way. And uh, uh, it's gonna be a break next shift away, but I wanted to ask this, because I mean, we're actually almost running out of time, okay. surprised it or not. Um, I've recently been so, what, do you know what Reddit is? Are you familiar mm -hmm. with it? Um, curious what subreddits you're on. No, I'm curious, no. but I, I recently got into um, following each of the different political, like the, mm -hmm. the political, uh, there's like a four quadrants. Yep. Um, and I follow like one the, the biggest subreddit of each of them. So I get to see like, okay, well, what's the benefit of social left, social right, economic um, left, economic right, authoritarian. Um, mm -hmm. And one that keeps coming up and every point they make, I'm like, that's really good is anarcho-capitalist. So like more of less smaller government and more free market based, which is the exact opposite. I mean, if you asked me when I was in college, I was literally like, oh, strong socialism, communism, just try it again. Yeah. And now I'm shifting almost the complete other direction. Like I'm like, what are the biggest faults with having smaller government and more free market? So uh, uh, this is Cause my in many ways, opinion. Your government. And yes. So you're like the opposite yeah. of this. So, yeah. so what's the what's the worst side of the direction that I'm seeing is moderately appeal. Obviously, mm -hmm. I'll never move away from the middle, but it's fun yeah. to like entertain different ideas and be like, well, what's the best, the good and bad of this route in life? You know, so speaking personally, so this is my own personal personal belief. I believe we are at a point in, in human evolution where those who fail to thrive within the systems that we've created should be supported at a reasonable level. I'm all for robust, uh, robust capitalism, uh, for limiting regulation as much as possible. The, the lesser regulation there is, the more losers there will be. Mm. There are people who simply will not thrive in that system. Mm -hmm. And we need to have a way to support them. 
that support requires a certain amount of regulation. It requires yeah. safety nets. It requires some of that. So Such as environmental. The earth can be yeah. a loser as well in exactly. that situation. Exactly. Yeah. I, I do not believe in, uh, I, don't, I don't think that we have proven that that complete lack of regulation will necessarily create um, or generate uh, ethical action. Yeah. I don't think we've ever proven that. And, and, um, and I'd be happy to have conversations with anybody who disagrees. Yeah. But in my opinion. Would you really, though? I would. I <laughs> Someone would. just spends I, all their time reading all the good sides of their argument. Yeah. Those people are the worst people to have conversations with. So I, uh, briefly, after I left the, the banking industry, I ran the City Club of Central Oregon. And I ran a dialogue series where I brought mm -hmm. people together on very dis, um, dis, with dissimilar views and on really divisive topics mm -hmm. like gun control, education, immigration, like things like that. Yeah. It was. It was an absolute blast. So, yes, I would legitimately like to have those conversations. And that's funny. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's my biggest realizing, like, when I was getting into it, and I was like, okay, full sale, we go into this. What's the biggest problem is the understanding of, like, generational wealth builds up and then the free market tends to just be the, like, some families or some companies get bigger and bigger and bigger. It's, like, almost like you need a massive death tax or whatever it is um, to, to somehow stunt one family from the oil giants 200 years ago who are transitioning into whatever from just dominating the landscape forever. I'm like, there's yeah. definitely downsides of literally every opportunity or every option that we have for an economic um, way of transacting between humans. Like there is no like, oh, that'll work 100%. And then the middle ground almost doesn't have radical enough action to get us out of the jam we're in in terms of the environment and just massive wealth inequality like we're in this yeah. weird place where no matter what radical change we're going to have it's going to rubber band back and have its own downsides it just seems like this really big and maybe like all generations have felt this way um but it seems like the the, the near future is a very precarious place doesn't it in terms of what actions and directions we're going to take so i commerce. think i think that it would be behoove us all to think about to think about the concept of less regulation and whether that means less regulation that supports a current system which seems to be aggregating wealth at the top. Mm -hmm. um, do we need less regulation or do we actually need more regulation to protect small and medium-sized businesses? Mm -hmm. Uh, to be so that they have the ability to compete. Yeah, I, I don't know the answer to that, but I think it's I think it's something that we should I think it's something that we should be thinking about more. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, as we wrap up the show, do you have anything you want to promote or people to reach out to you on Twitter or anywhere specific? So any plugs? <laughs> any plugs? Yeah. So if anybody's interested in what the SBDC does, we've got uh, LaneSBDC.com, and SBDC stands for Small Business Development Center. Yeah. So uh, they can go there, check us out. Uh, they can contact me through that, that uh, and awesome. that's easy to easy to find. Beautiful. One I've, link in the description. Easy enough. Yes. Unless you have another thing. Yes. One more thing. Yeah. One more thing. Um, for anybody who is in business, who's who's running their own business now, and would like to would like to really get good at the art and science of business ownership. There is a program we've been running for 38 years called Small Business Management. It's a nine-month cohort program, absolutely um, lauded instructor. He's been running it now for over a decade, and um, 
uh, it would it starts the next cohort starts in September. So reach out if anybody is interested. Awesome. Thank you very much for coming on the show. I appreciate your time. It has been a pleasure. Take Thank care, you, everyone.